We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything. We have a very special group with us today. Um, I'm very thankful for each and every one of them. We are honoring today our law enforcement men and women and those who retired from law enforcement. Uh, Would you please stand so we could recognize you all over the house, law enforcement, uh, those who are involved in that and you have retired. Could we give them a huge, huge hand of praise and thank you. We appreciate you so very, very, very much. We have lunch prepared for them and their families and a lot of goodies I think they're going to give away and uh, we're so grateful that they are here with us. I uh, am continuing a series, we're going to wrap it up today, called The Cutting Edge. And if you keep up with the news like I do, but uh, have you figured out the news can be very negative? And uh, you, you can only take it in small doses. So this weekend... Uh, someone went into a, uh, a market, a, a store there in Buffalo, New York, killed 10 people, wounded several others. Uh, obviously, across America today, we have marches about abortion rights and pro and con. Both are marching. Uh, a war still raging in Ukraine, thousands of people dying there. And this just goes on and on, doesn't it? I mean, you look here, you look there, there's turmoil, there's strife, there's problems. And we've just passed the one million mark of the COVID deaths in the United States and across the world. I mean, it's even greater. Friday, I was speaking to an 80-year-old man, and uh, we were in discussion, and he said, Mike, he said, the world that I grew up in was not the world that I see today. How many of you can identify with that? It's just a different world. And we're in it, we face it, we have to go through it, we engage it. And so all of those things are very relevant in our everyday walk. But isn't it true, the world has drastically changed, and I'm sure for everyone here. So how do we navigate this new world? How do we embrace it and engage it? How do we move forward with the challenges? Well, we have to stay sharp. You know, with these law enforcement officers here, I don't know what it's like in the dark to walk up to a car that I don't know who's inside and what's inside, right? Or walk into a domestic abuse situation or go into a home and you don't know what you're going to face. That would be challenging. But I know this, you need to be sharp if you're going to do that. Better stay on the cutting edge. Can't, Can't drop your guard. You can't drop the things that you know you've been trained in, you, you've been schooled in, you have to keep that cutting edge. And Dad and I were discussing at lunch yesterday, my, my dad's almost 87 years old, and, and we talked about people who are not very sharp, but they think, but they, think they are. Come on, go with me this morning. Don't look around, but pe- people who think they are sharp, but they're really not, and I said, Dad, what's up with those people? He said, well, that's an indicator that they're not because they think they are. And I thought, what a good response to that. 
but we have to be on our game. We have to stay sharp. And one of the verses you saw on the screen is Ecclesiastes 10.10. Let me read it to you. If the ax is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. So uh, we, we have an ax here, and we're going to do a little uh, tool time. And so, you know, if, if you have something like this, you need to sharpen it. I mean, we're going to let... Some of the sparks fly here. And all the men said, yeah, that's a sermon right there. <laughs> Let the sparks fly. But, but has the Lord ever worked on you and you thought the sparks were flying? Yeah. And you said, Lord, what are you doing to me? I mean, this is not cool. This is hot and sparks are flying. And the Lord's saying, I'm trying to get an edge on you because the world will dull you. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. I mean, the world will tell you. And, and so when, when you think, you know, you're doing, you know, pretty good there, then all of a sudden the Lord pulls out another instrument and you, you hear this. You say, well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, he's putting the final touch to you. But then the world comes along and just goes, I'm going to dull you right back. And then you got to go back for the Lord and he's going to put a different angle on you. When the world wants to flatten you out, and God wants to keep you sharp, and how many of you know, if God's using you, this doesn't just happen once in your life, or twice in your life, or three times in your life. You got to go back and get that edge put back on you. You got to get back in the game. You got to get back in the sharpness of your life, because everybody here wants to be sharp, and we need to be sharp. And now notice the last line of that verse. It says, this wisdom brings success. Now say that with me. This wisdom brings success. What wisdom? Stay sharp. That's the wisdom. The wisdom is, no matter how old you are, how young you are, what you go through, where you came from, keep that cutting edge to stay sharp because that wisdom brings you success. And everybody wants success, don't we? We want success in our marriage, in our job, our career, our calling, our anointing, in our business, in every facet of our life. We want to have some success especially in our spiritual walk with God who gives us that edge. And we want to be sharp, not dull, but we live in a world that will dull you, a world that will oppose you and scrape you the wrong direction, the wrong way, and you've got to get back to that sharp life. It's kind of like a ship going through the ocean collecting barnacles. There comes a point where that speed and that accuracy is hindered by the barnacles, and those have to be scraped off so we can sail a little bit better. And so you and I are the same way in our own personal life. We have to be sharp to do our job, our duty, our calling, and that is something very important. Let's talk about a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you'd like to take your Bible to the Old Testament, his book is there. Nehemiah uh, is a cupbearer. He was born of Jewish parents in captivity or exile in the land of Persia, or we might say Babylon. We're looking at modern-day Iraq, Iran, if you want to get a little picture in your mind of the geography. And now he's there. He's never been to his homeland of nativity as far as his family history. He's never been to Jerusalem. But God is moving on his heart to go back to Israel to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the walls, the city, the gates that have been burned, because prior, 
the Babylonian army went in and devastated the nation and especially the capital city. I mean, everything's in ruin, rubbish. There's rocks, boulders, fire. Everything has happened in that city. And now Nehemiah is going back because God gave a timetable, 70 years, and in 70 years I'm going to send you back to that country and I'm going to have some people that's going to help rebuild it. We're talking about Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. And so God has people that he uses to rebuild the waste places. Can I hear an amen to that? And everybody has one. So now they're going back. This is Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant, mocked the Jews, and he spoke before his brethren. And the army of Samarians said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burnt, now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. What a jab about that, right? Verse 7, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So what in our lives can dull us, and what do we do about that? So here's number one. The dullness of detractors. The dullness of detractors. How many of you know everybody's not on board with you? How many of you know you have opposition? Sometimes I have opposition. Whenever you move to do something for God, you move to do something good in your life, if you're going to gain success, if you're going to go forward, there are going to be obstacles, challenges, and especially detractors. Because detractors are going to say things like this, you can't do that, that's not possible, you shouldn't do that, we don't like that, it makes us look bad, and we might lose some control. That's good preaching, I know it when I hear it. Because any time you move forward in your life, you, you launch out in faith to do something for God, there are going to be detractors in your life. Some people just have the gift of a critical spirit. <laughs> that, that's not a spiritual gift of the right spirit, but I mean, one guy got a call, and he said, your wife is at the hospital, and she's critical. And he said, well, what's she complaining about now? I think he had the wrong impression of uh, what they were saying, but maybe he had a pattern there. I'm not for sure. So why are some people overly critical? I mean, it's just that negativity. They're always against something. They're never for something. And there are some reasons. Let me give you a few. Maybe it's low self-esteem that they have. Maybe they're insecure about their own selves. And maybe they really think they're superior to you and I. I mean, we are the deplorables, right? I'll take all the help I can get up here. It, it does feel lonely every once in a while. But, but there are some people that think they're just superior to other people. And so they're very critical. They're condescending. Um, some people were raised in a spirit of criticism, and so they carry that on out of their own family. And it, it could be that... Uh, 
you know, they feel like that they may lose some control. Um, you know, th- there are reasons that people are critical. And now Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, the Arabians, the Ammonites, the others are losing control. They don't like it. And now they're attacking the people of God. And when the enemy begins to lose control, the enemy begins to criticize. So you think about that. Why are people doing what they're doing? So, Jack, when you're moving forward, God's using you. Guess what you can expect? Some criticism, some pushback, some opposition, and some problems. But if you don't do anything, you may not get it. But if you're going to do something, you may get some pushback, right? People don't like that. So there is that, that dullness of opposition and detractors in our life. Look, look at chapter 4, verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of our laborers is failing. So another dullness is the dullness of fatigue. And you may be here this morning and say, yeah, I could use a good rest. Preach about that, Pastor. Because, have you ever heard this, you can be weary in well-doing? Isn't that in the Bible? So as you move forward, as you work in the kingdom of God, as you labor in the house of God, as you do the right things in your family, with your children, uh, law enforcement officers, as you do what you should be doing, you can get tired in what you're doing. So you can get weary in well-doing. And that is something that really can dull our life. And you know, fatigue, there are several symptoms, uh, slowed down reaction times, reduced attention span, concentration, uh, it limits short time memory, impairs judgment. So we have to be careful that we don't get in this overwork, fatigue type mentality, and sometimes we champion that. Well, you only got four hours of sleep, and I'm working really hard. Well, that's good, but let me tell you, sometimes you just need to take a break, Jack, right? You, you, you just got to gotta chill for a while. And this is very biblical. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. So even God rested. And I don't think God gets tired like we get tired. I mean, he's God, right? But what's he doing? He set an example. He set a pattern that you and I are human, And we need rest, and we need to take that dullness of fatigue and put it to the side, and we need to have that in our mind that that could happen. Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. So there the psalmist says you've got to rest. Matthew 11, probably the most famous passage about this, 28, 29. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls and sometimes it's not just the physical rest we need how many of you know sometimes it's the spiritual rest the emotional rest we need vince lombardi the great football coach of the green bay packer says that fatigue makes cowards of us all that sometimes we just get so overwhelmed, we're so tired, that that dullness sets in, and we really need to get some rest to keep the cutting edge. We must rest and renew and reflect and restore our lives. And even Jesus had to pull away from the crowds and the multitudes and find a solitary place to pray and rest and restore so he'd get up and do it again. 
And even in the middle of the storm, guess where Jesus was? He was in the back of the boat on a pillow, asleep, resting. A couple of good things there. Even Jesus needs rest. And number two, if you're in a storm, he's right there in the middle of it with you. Isn't that good news? It is that dullness of fatigue. Look at verse 10 again. Then Judah said, the strength of the labors is failing. And there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. What about the dullness of rubbish? Now let me uh, make this applicable to you in your personal life. Is there anybody here that has some junk in their trunk? Are you carrying something you shouldn't carry? Do you have something in your life that you probably need to get rid of? Is there there's some baggage you've been carrying around for way, way too long? Well, probably that might be the case. It could be unforgiveness. It could be hurts or pains or abuses, scars, wounds, emotional things, uh, anger. And what happens is those things accumulate. You have to deal with them. If you don't deal with them, it comes out in a negative way. So we have to deal with the pain, the hurt, the scar, the abuse. Someone, you know, petted my fur backwards, and what do I do with that? Uh, you, you, you have to come to grips with that because that begins to dull us. In chapter 2, Nehemiah gives us a little indication when he says that he arrived at the city on his beast of burden, and he said the rubbish was so pervasive the animal couldn't even walk down the streets. That's how much ruin and rubbish and things that had fallen into the streets and things that were making progress almost difficult or impassable. If that's true in the natural, how many of you know it's true in the spiritual? Because sometimes we can have things in our life that we really need to get rid of, unresolved things, pains and hurts and abuses that we really need to really bring to the Lord and give Him and deal with it and move on because it will dull us and we won't have that cutting edge that we, we need in our own life. Uh, some of those unresolved things manifest in addictions, anxiety, depression, PTSD, shame, sense of unworthiness. So what, what's the remedy? What's the strategy for that? And it, it is that we should be sharp, not dull, because those things will dull our life. Now, what I want to do, I want to give you four important insights here in chapter 4 to help us with these dulling factors in our life. Go with me to verse number 13, and I'm going to read 13, 14, and we're going to make just four, four uh, comments on this. Therefore, Nehemiah says, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Look at verse number 13. Nehemiah said the, family accord, the people according to their families. So what is one of the keys to keep us sharp? You and I need to belong somewhere with people who care about one another. This has become such an impersonal society today. Now please don't throw anything at me. We think because we texted somebody, now we're friends. We think because we clicked accept, we're friends now. 
what a relationship. Today, we think if we listen to four TikTok videos, we are professional. We got it down now because we heard from people on TikTok who are dumber than us. Not against it, but you need more than that. You've got to have a real relationship with people around you. And, and Psalm 68, I believe it's verse number 6, yeah, 68.6, it says, The Lord sets the solitary in families. Family is God's idea. Not the church's, not mine, not Pastor Matt's. Family is God's idea. He created a man and a woman, and he said, go multiply, replenish, have authority, dominion over this earth, begin the family, and today we still need family. Because family is the framework of God, it is the building block of society, and the family is under intense attack, and you know it. I heard the other day that... <laughs> In New York City, you can marry yourself. I tell you what, if I married myself, I may divorce myself. Because sometimes I have issues with myself. I mean, isn't that weird? We live in a world today that's absolutely upside down, but God gives us the remedy and the way to keep sharp. And Nehemiah said, I'm going to place these groups in families because this is where you care for one another. What happens if we have a functioning family? Well, there is love and emotional support, accountability, discipline, correction, communication, problem solving, and good examples. I, I listen, I'm convinced that many of our law enforcement people here today would not have to deal with some things if it was done in the home and the family. If it was done on that level, the other level wouldn't be quite as, uh, uh, you know, having to deal with some stuff because it would be done at a family level. When I was growing up, my dad, and I've said this several times, he didn't count to three. There was no time out. What he said was the law. And, uh, you know, you straighten up, you act right, you don't go out, you know, you got to be home at this time. How, how many of you can remember a world removed when that was really true? And now, you know, you have people roaming the streets and out to all kind of nefarious things when if we had some families, some core families, especially some fathers, would step up and say, we're going to live this way, we're going to act this way, we're going to have this conduct, these manners, and this is not the way that you're going to act up. And then wouldn't have to be dealt with on another level. Well, preach it, pastor, get after it, okay. Verse 13, he set them in family with their swords, spears, and bows. Well, the second indication that Nehemiah has given us is that we need to have the will to resist and engage the enemy. You and I have to have the will. We, we have to have the, the wanting to engage the enemy. 
Listen, folks, we're in a fight. There is right, there's wrong, there is good and evil, there is light and there's darkness. That will never change. And you and I, we're either going to be on one side or the other. You choose what side you're going to be on, but we have to be willing to engage and resist the enemy, the courage to fight. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer, fasting, the Word of God, faith, doing the things that we do to build the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus is speaking. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You know what Jesus is saying? The enemy has power. But guess what you have? You have power and authority. Because let me go back to what I said. When he created mankind, put man on the earth, he says, now I give you authority. And you have my power. And you and I have to be willing to speak up, to live it up in the way that we're going to be standard bearers for morality and right and good against evil. And the enemy doesn't want you to speak out against it. Just, just be quiet. Don't contradict what I'm saying. Don't, don't interrupt my lifestyle. Don't, don't look at me. And listen, people have the choice to do whatever they want to. I, I told the story in the early service years ago, Carrie and I, and she's going to shudder when I tell this. We were at Penn Square Mall many years ago. How do you remember when the goth movement was really strong? And you know, teenagers and young men and women and even older people who have lost their minds in doing it. But uh, they dress all in black and they dye their hair black and they, sometimes they put on the white makeup and the black lipstick and, and, and you, they have that goth lifestyle. So Carrie and I are walking down Penn Square Mall. Now listen, I don't see a lot of that in Stevens County. I'm just telling you. So kind of new to me way back years ago. So we're walking down Penn Square Mall, and there's a group of them coming down, and I thought, boy, this is really different. This is unusual. So I'm looking because I'd never seen anything like this. I mean, I've been in the county fair in three goat ropings, and I'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> and they're walking by, and I'm just looking, and one of these big tall guys, he had the black hair and the, the white makeup and the black eyeliner and black lipstick. He said, what are you looking at? I said, well, he started it. I didn't start it, Carrie. He said, what are you looking at? I said, I'm looking at you. I said, I figured that's why you dress like that, so people look at you. He went, hey, just walked off, you know. <laughs> but sometimes you just have to stand up and say, you know what? People have choices, but I choose God. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, I'm not saying all this is bad. I'm just saying that sometimes you as a believer, me as a believer, we as a church, we in the Christian community, we need to stand up and say, this is wrong, this is right, this is light, this is darkness, this is good, this is evil. I don't apologize for that. This is your choice. But for us, 
We're going to resist. We're going to stand in the gap. We're going to serve God and try to do what's right, building the kingdom of God. So don't back up. Don't give up. Put on the armor of God and fight the good fight of faith. That's what we should be doing. And all of us should be doing that. Now, here's the third thing, verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. So the third thing Nehemiah tells us is don't fear. Listen, if you're going to keep the cutting edge, you've got to live in faith, not in fear. So do not fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. Years ago, I was about in the fourth or fifth grade. I had a friend, still have the friend. His name was Benny. So Benny decided, Cheryl knows who Benny is. We all went to school together, and he decided he was going to come spend the weekend with us. He lived in town. We lived way out in the country. We had all kind of animals. We had cattle and goats and pigs and chicken, ducks, peacocks, guineas. How many of you ever looked for the guinea nest? Some of you don't even have a clue what I'm saying. So we had about four horses, and Benny comes to our house and spend the weekend. And I said, Benny, uh, one of these horses uh, likes to come up and nuzzle you and want to kind of shove you in the back, play with you. And, it, you know, if you want to run and play with it, that's fine. But if you don't, just kind of pat it on the nose and it, it'll leave. He said, okay. Now, we're about fourth or fifth grade. And I looked out, and I see Benny running. And the horse is right behind him, running. And finally, when this little scenario was over, I said, Benny, why didn't you stop and shoo the horse away? He said, I was too busy running. <laughs> and sometimes, listen closely, the enemy has us on the run, and all you have to do is turn and stand your ground and get him away from you. Quit running. Stand your ground. One of my favorite stories of school, Bob Sullivan back here to my right. Bob was about a year or so younger than me, and, and we rode the same school bus. And because I was a little bit older, uh, right between him and his sister, and his older sister would get on the bus, and sh she was a looker. I want to tell you, she was a looker. So we would always look at Bob's sister, not Bob. <laughs> but there was a guy who was my age that would take his class ring and turn it around. How many of you have ever done that? Take the class ring, turn it around, and bop somebody on the head. So Bob's, you know, he's younger. And so this guy from my class was always bopping Bob on the head. That's got a ring to it. But Bob, he said, when I get old enough, I'm going to whoop him. When I get big enough, I'm going to whoop him. And let me tell you, Bob's a big guy. So when he got big enough, the guy moved. <laughs> Bob said, I've been mad about that ever since. But there comes a point you got to say, I'm going to stand my ground, and I'm not going to let the enemy push me around. And that's a key here that we do not fear. 
Verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And here's the last one, the fourth thing. Nehemiah said, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. My friends, has America forgotten God? Are we forgetting God? But Nehemiah says, if you're in conflict, if the enemy's pressing in, if you need that cutting edge, you better remember the Lord. Because he's your strength. He's your power. He is your strong tower, and you can run into him and be saved. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the roaring one. He is the conqueror. He is the eternal one. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Did you catch that? He's not just the Lord. He's the great and awesome Lord. There's a term in your Bible. It first appears in Genesis 14. Some of you will be familiar with this. Some of you maybe first time. It is the term El Elyon. El means God. Elyon means the most high, the pinnacle, the, the, the cream, the, the top, the best, the excellent. Let me tell you where this term really appears. It appears when Abram is coming back from the battle of the kings. And in Genesis 14, he meets this king priest by the name of Melchizedek. And they enter into conversation, but the conversation is just not about God. It's about El Elyon. And I'll tell you why. Because they lived in a culture where there were many gods. Everybody had a god. There was a god of war. There was a god of the crops. There was a god of thunder and lightning and water. And in India today, they have millions of gods. And I'm not exaggerating. Today, people have gods of money and success and fame and fortune, and nothing's wrong with those. You just got to get them in the right place. But let me tell you who's above everything, according to the Word of God. El Elyon. He is not only God, he is the most high God. There is no other God besides him. And you and I need to Listen to <laughs> Nehemiah. Listen. Remember the Lord. Let me tell you why. Because God remembers you. Remember old Noah and that big old boat we call an ark? I bet he wondered if it was ever going to quit raining. But you'll find this in the Bible. And the Lord remembered Noah. See, I don't know where you are today, but God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly where you're at. Now, let me finish the story. Nehemiah and those people, they rebuilt the wall. They rebuilt the gates. They rebuilt the city. And you know what happened? They pushed the enemy back outside. You know, water's good on the outside of the boat, but it's sure not good on the inside of the boat. We don't need the enemy in the camp. We need the enemy out here. And we need to build the kingdom of God. We, we need soldiers. 
We need people. We need praying moms and dads, and we need law enforcement that will push back darkness to let the light shine through. Is it easy? No. Is it scary? Sometimes, but don't fear. Is it dangerous? Sure it is. But I want to tell you, you only have one life, and that life needs to be in Jesus Christ. And today, if you don't know him, you need to know him because... You're going to be lost without him. Your money can't fix you. Your morality can't fix you. Your education, not good enough. You can't be righteous enough, moral enough. The only way you and I are ever going to be saved is through Jesus Christ. What he did at the cross, what he did at Calvary, he shed blood. But the good news is, whosoever wants to come, there he is for each and every one of us. Would you bow your head with me right now? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.